0: This is AM Oddman Rush. It's our special New York Islanders playoff edition. We're going to be talking to Joe Pantorno, sports editor at AM New York Metro. The New York Islanders face the Philadelphia Flyers in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs very shortly. So we're going to get right into it. We have a lot to say. There's a lot of history between these two teams. Joe, we're going to go to you now. Joe, it's been a long time since the Islanders made it to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, two seasons in a row. You can argue that this is the Islanders' most successful postseason run since 1993, given that they've won seven games, if you count the play-in round, against the Florida Panthers. Tonight, they're playing the Philadelphia Flyers, We know there's a history there. The Islanders have to thank them for handing over the first Stanley Cup the team ever won. But it's a whole new generation, whole new season, whole new hockey with bubbles in Toronto. John Tavares isn't playing in Toronto, though. Shocking. But let's hear your thoughts on this matchup. Isles make it to round two, play in Philly.
1: Yeah, Alex. uh, Thanks so much again for having me on. It's nice to be back. Uh, It's been a while, I know. And Uh, yeah you know the sports world again has continued to have been turned upside down and with this uh, with these Stanley Cup playoffs it's not nearly close to anything that really resembles uh, you know a a normal playoff format of sorts but um, you know that that's been playing into the Islanders hands I guess and yeah they were able to you know battle through the Panthers and the qualifiers and they Uh, Again, they surprised us all, uh, defeating the Capitals as handily as they did uh, in the first round. And, um, yeah, here they are against a very familiar opponent uh, with a rivalry that's been put on ice, uh, you know, for a majority of the last two decades or so, just because uh, it's not often that both teams have been actually really good at the same time. Um, And yet, here we are. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice little traditional divisional Eastern Conference rivalry here. And, um, you know, the Flyers have kind of ripped a page out of the Islanders' book and kind of coming out of nowhere and nabbing that number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, they have uh, I've said it before, imitation is the uh, sincerest form of flattery. And really for the Flyers to make the jump that they did uh, from not being a playoff team last year to getting that number one seed in the East, obviously they had help through the Round Robin tournament and everything like that. Um, still, it's a huge testament to them and uh, to their new head coach and Elaine Vigneault. So, uh, it's going to be a fun series. It's going to be evenly matched, and uh, I think a lot of you know traditional Eastern Conference hockey fans are going to be keeping a, cl- a close eye out on this one.
0: So, for the Islanders and Flyers, particularly, this is a big goalie matchup. I know you wrote a story about that today. Semyon Varlamov. Who's he going up against? Who you know? He's um, he's coming in. Five games against the Capitals. He was pretty solid, especially, you know, it's always a testament to the goalie when you win a series on a shutout. That just means keepers locked in. He was definitely a deciding factor, particularly the way the Islanders play very low-scoring games. Talk about the matchup you see, who's coming in for Philly, and what you think is going to go on there.
1: Yeah, really, if you look at Semyon Varlamov's stats just by themselves, uh, and not really looking at anybody else in the playoffs, uh, you'd just be assuming that by far he'd be the best goalie uh, that was still playing. Uh, but here is 22-year-old superstar in the making, Carter Hart, coming in for the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, in my opinion at least, ahead of schedule. And he's just been an absolute brick wall and net for Philadelphia. Um, His numbers are the only ones that uh, can rival Varlamovs in the playoffs so far. Um, You know, I think it was a big question mark going into the postseason after such a long layoff just how effective Hart would be uh, because when you really look at it, uh, like I just mentioned, this is a 22-year-old kid, never had any playoff experience in his life. Uh, He had battled some inconsistencies and even some injuries, uh, especially closer to the restart. Uh, And he's come in and he stood on his head. Uh, something along the lines of a, a 171 goals against average, his safe percentage of 943, leads uh, all postseason goaltenders this season. So uh, he's remarkable. He's fast. He's athletic. Uh, incredibly poised for a goaltender his age. Um, and again, this isn't really something that's taking us by surprise in terms of you know, recent young goaltenders that are carrying their teams towards a deep playoff run. You know, we kind of saw it last year with Jordan Bennington in St. Louis. We saw it a few years ago in Pittsburgh with Matt Murray. Um, you know, these guys just kind of came in and they surprised us. Uh, you know, they got hot at the right time. Really, Carter Hart is the kind of player where this is something that we're going to expect for a really long time from him. And that might not be the best pill for Islanders fans to swallow, even though Ilya Sorokin is, you know, on the horizon for them. Um, but he certainly is the real deal, and as the stage gets bigger, those expectations are certainly going to grow for him. So uh, we'll see if the youngster either uh, wilts a bit uh, or if he keeps doing what he's doing, and if that's the case, uh, you know, this this series is going to be even closer than I think we all anticipated.
0: Now, obviously this playoff situation is extremely, extremely different than any other... Playoffs, any other Stanley Cup championships that have happened in the past, not to reasons why one nameless commentator said during an Islanders-Capitals game, but the no fans, that must be an advantage for Hart. Coming into his first playoff series, it must feel a little bit more like the pressure's off when he doesn't have to go into hostile territory. Like Long Island, or even if he has a bum game in Philly, I don't think that those fans are going to be too forgiving in a playoff atmosphere. So, not that the pressure is off, but perhaps it's easier for not just him, but all players, all coaching personnel. That that works for the Islanders too. That there's more of an ability to stay focused and stick to your game.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a really good point. And uh, you know, if you look back at the uh, at the Flyers series against the Canadians. Um, you know, Montreal was the bottom seed in the Eastern Conference. They started the qualifiers as the last team in, the number 12 team. Um, you know, when they, they get past Pittsburgh and, you know, the Flyers, they take game one. But in game two, which the schedule would have dictated under normal circumstances, that game would have been played in Philadelphia. Uh, Montreal came in and they, they punched them right in the mouth. They beat them 5 to nothing. Uh So, you know, if, if Carter Hart has that game in front of a packed house at Wells Fargo Center, uh, you know, who knows what could happen. happened. Um, and, you know, I, I'd i like to think that a lot of these young goalies, um, especially in those certain kind of markets, uh, they've been prepared for moments like that. Um, certainly I don't think it would be something to rattle hard considering just how strong he came back uh, in the ensuing games in that Montreal series. Um, but, yeah, like you said, really no fans has actually helped out a lot of teams, and it certainly has helped out the Islanders a lot. Uh, you know, we've talked to Barry Trotz a few times over the past few weeks, and uh, he's made it a point where he says, you know, it's it's kind of hard that our team can't draw off the momentum of, say, a packed Nassau Coliseum. But at the same time, um, you know, Semyon Varlamov and Gulp can hear what Barry Trotz is saying. Uh, the Islanders' staunch, resolute defense, they can hear what – Barry Trotz is saying. Uh, Everybody can communicate with themselves pretty seamlessly. Um, And for such an organized team like the Islanders, that's huge. Uh, That's an imperative aspect of the game that um, this Toronto bubble is is helping out with. Um, And and again, to another extent, the Flyers are are really organized too. I'm not going to say that they're as organized or their defense is as good as the Islanders, uh, especially in recent games, because... You know, in their losses to Montreal last series, they, you know, they gave up five goals per game there. Um, so, you know, I, I I think they're close. They have a really good young defensive core with the likes of Sandheim, and Provorov. Um, so, you know, they're right there, and and Philip uh, Philip uh, Philippe Myers too. So, um, again, they're right there. Uh, I think they're maybe a year or two away from becoming a defense that's really as. Um, good and shut down as the Islanders are, but again, um, you know, we're going to see that first hand starting tonight, so um, it's it's really a great matchup, and you know what, I hope you don't like goals, because uh, they, they might be few and far between in this series.
0: And to me, that makes it almost more exciting, particularly in hockey when a game is played more like a chess match, where one goal couldn't legitimately make the difference, one breakaway one excellent shot it's where a team's talent has to match its strategy and it's not just one or the other you need both and barry trotz of course wins the stanley cup with washington before this season he frustrated the islanders in what was sort of the final season at the coliseum At the time, it was believed to me, of course, they would come back, split everything with that and uh, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. But Trotz frustrated the heck out of the Islanders with his strategy. And when you looked at that 2015 series, you could pinpoint the talent was close enough to an equivalency where it came down to strategy and the smarter coach won. And now you have that on the side of the Islanders, but you're going into a team that is high ranked, plays very intense, has a history of intensity for Philly. How much strategy change do you think they're going to have to put in to their game against the Islanders? Or is it really going to be, to quote the famed Herb Brooks, is it going to be play your game and kind of let the best man win?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't think either side's strategy is going to be changing much. Uh, really, the only thing that's gonna uh, that we're going to see some changes in compared to the previous rounds with both teams is going to be the lineup changes, just because this is such a packed schedule. I mean, the first four games of this series is going to be carried out over six games. And again, both coaches have kind of alluded to the fact that they're going to be making the proper lineup changes just to get everybody healthy. But um, besides that point... Um, you know, the aspect that makes this series that much more entertaining, I think, for a lot of hockey fans is the fact that you're getting a marquee coaching matchup in Barry Trotz and Elaine Digno, two of the most well-respected coaches in the league. Um, so in, in terms of their strategies, just because they're also so similar, um, you're not going to see a ton of tweaking, uh, especially from the Islanders, because, again, if you notice, it really doesn't matter who their opponent is their strategy doesn't change. This is a defensive first team and they're going to get you on the counter attack for the most part, especially if they're playing the especially affluent side, say like a Washington Capitals team. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot of cagey matchups because of this. Uh, a lot of these games are going to be tentative. Like I alluded to before, there's not going to be a lot of scoring because both of these teams kind of derive a lot of their power from defense. That being said, the Flyers were a little bit more frustrated in their offense uh, against the Canadiens. Uh, you know, they were a tough team. They were fast. They kind of punched them in the mouth. The Islanders have kind of shown an ability to beat a team kind of at their own game. Uh, you know, they have an ability to keep up with the faster teams in the league or the more physical teams in the league without losing that all-important structure. So these teams can kind of throw anything at them as we've seen desperate teams on the verge of elimination do so far this postseason in the likes of the Panthers and the likes of the Capitals. And, uh, you know, they've been able to really absorb a lot of that pressure. You know, you see them maybe lose an initial game and then they quickly make the adjustments that they need. Uh, so really what it comes down for me, uh, is just who can make the most out of their offensive opportunities. And, uh, Obviously, you and I and and most New Yorkers here that are listening know that the Islanders' offense has been inconsistent and their power play has been a sore topic of conversation. Um, But if they are able to get something out of it, like they did in Game 5 against the Capitals, they got that early power play goal with Pavilion, it's amazing how much that does. It takes the load off, and and the offense can kind of build off of that. Uh, Just the momentum. Even even if a goal isn't scored, if the Islanders are able to put together a strong power play, um, they can build momentum off of that. Uh, They're a tough team, they really know how to forecheck well, um, and they are experts at kind of creating offensive chances out of nothing. Now on the flip side, you have a a Flyers team that has a little bit more to work with. Uh, You know, you look at that first line of Claude Giroux and Jacob Voracek and Sean Couturier, uh, they're one of the best playmaking lines in hockey. And it's really a testament to them, uh, considering how much they were misfiring in that series against Montreal. Um, just how good the supporting cast is. Um, and it shows, well, you know what? They don't need to have those three guys clicking on all cylinders in order to move on to, uh, you know, move on in a postseason series. Now, you know, Montreal and the Islanders are, you know, they're they're pretty different teams, and the Islanders are a significantly better team compared to Montreal. And, uh, you know, such such an even matchup might suggest that, you know, the Flyers might have an even difficult time here, so um, you know, I'm expecting a longer series, um, but I'm also expecting two teams that really aren't going to be moving far away from what got them there in the first place. So uh, it, it's almost a game of chicken of sorts between Trots and Vigneault, and it's, uh, you know, who's going to blink first?
0: You know, something else about the Islanders' strategy, which not just this postseason, but even going back last year against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Trotz... Always stresses get out there and get a quick one. Make them start playing behind before the game has really even begun. So for the Islanders in this season, or in this series rather, particularly, how important is it going to be, of, and we'll talk about fixing or at least mending the power play to something more productive, but for the Islanders, how critical in something that's going to likely, as you said, be a low-scoring series... Is it going to be to get a goal in the first minute or two and just set the tone, make the Flyers start playing catch-up quickly? And when you play that kind of catch-up game, in an ideal world, teams rush, they draw penalties, which is when you have the opportunity to strike again, which brings me to what I'm going to ask. What do you think the Islanders can also do about the power play in addition to getting an early aggressive, yet somehow conservative offense in the beginning of a game.
1: Yeah. um, You know, we've been, when we've been talking to the, you know, when the Islanders have been kind of talking to us over the last couple of days and and really, really throughout both series against Florida and Washington, um, we saw in the first couple of games of each series that they, you know, fell behind and then they they had to be the ones who were playing catch up and, and they showed that they could. Um, but obviously that's a dangerous game that you're going to play, especially the more you, you know, the deeper you advance into the playoffs and, uh, you know, that's a game you don't want to play with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, so they've been, you know, they, they stress that having a good early start is imperative for their playoff chances. Um, and again, that's going to be a huge sticking point for them this series, um, If they're able to get on the board and and even dictate play early enough, then you'll see the Islanders have a better chance of properly settling into that structure and into that defense. Um, And that's when the frustration comes out from the opposition. And that's when the penalties are starting to be taken, like you sort of just alluded to. Um, And then that's when the Islanders have a golden opportunity to run away with the series. And we we saw that last series against the Capitals. We saw it in Game 4. They jumped out to an early lead, they took a 2 nothing lead, and then they had a power play opportunity, and really, that could have been the dagger right there. The Islanders had a perfect opportunity to sweep the Capitals right there. Um, and then they got away from their game. They relaxed. They took their foot off the pedal, and they took a couple of stupid penalties. Um, you know, I know Matt Barzal took a offensive zone penalty, and it opened the door for the Capitals to get right back in, and they scored three unanswered, and... You know, they, they pushed the series to a Game 5, but you know, for me, that was an unnecessary Game 5. And I think that was something that Trotz harped on with his team. And I think that's why we saw such a dominating performance in Game 5. It led to a 4 nothing win um, in one of their most dominant showings of the postseason. Um, so really, it's, it's, it, it's that all-important early start that's going to help. But at the same time, it's keeping that intensity. And I think that game four loss to Washington was a really important lesson uh, for the Islanders to have. And it's it's not often that a team can kind of take a punch like that in the playoffs and survive and then quickly use it after. Um, and, and we might see something like that this postseason, which, uh, you know, if you say that out loud to a lot of Islanders fans, they're going to start thinking that means they're a team of destiny. Uh, and, you know, for that, I'm not going to tell you how to think. But, uh, you know, it's. It's um, yeah, I'm I'm really not sure how else I could uh I, I could say it. It's just you get out to that early lead and, and you kind of watch trots work his magic and uh, that you know that should be that should be you know along with a, a clicking power play, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily yield goals. Um, I think that's that's a top three thing on the Islanders checklist.
0: As good as Hart is, and of course, he's not just shown promise, he's shown results. At the end of the day, if the Islanders really come out swinging, you have an opportunity to intimidate a young goaltender in a first-time, truly critical playoff situation for him. And even if they don't score, but if they just set a tempo where, yeah, kid, every 20 seconds, you're going to have to stop a shot. I really think that will set a tone, as you're saying, and that will ripple into the defense, into the Flyers' offensive production, the fact that they would have to play a game virtually in their own zone and lean on a goaltender who, again, not to say that he's not good, not to say he can't rise to the occasion. This is when we're going to find out. But he hasn't been tested at this level yet, at this juncture. So... That's something that the Islanders need to do. They need to press. If there is a player that the Islanders should be pressing, I think it should be Hart. And they should, of course, go out for that early lead. But even if they don't get that, they need to register as many shots on net as possible. Maybe that strategy changes throughout the series as, as things develop and as they get a little bit more of a grain or a feel. For taking on the Flyers, but for this game one, you know, the Islanders should be shooting to have at least 50 shots on net. Make the kid sweat. If he's gonna win tonight, he's gonna feel it in the morning. And he's gonna realize, ah, geez, I gotta do that another three times. So psychologically, this is an opportunity to strike. The Islanders recently, and it feels really strange saying this have had a little bit more of a playoff understanding than the Philadelphia Flyers. That hasn't historically been the case, particularly in the 2000s, late 90s range. But right now, this is an Islanders team that, that's been to the second round. This is a team that's played an intense series, and and they they have a bit of a feel for it where they can kind of say, welcome back to the playoffs, Philly. And in a way, be the the reverse or the anti-hero version of the broad street bullies. And I think that, and this is something I want to ask you about when the Islanders played the Capitals, when the caps were down 0-3, you saw them start to play a very physical game, not to say that they were out to hurt players, but you know, when you see Derek Broussard being used as a punching bag after the whistle, it makes you question what's going on. But Part of that Game 4 loss to Washington came from Washington's physicality. And if it's intimidation or just they were taking shots that got Islanders bruised and and their mechanics were not what they would have been if if they didn't have a huge purple patch on their shooting arm or something like that. So for both the Islanders and the Flyers, two teams that are notoriously physical, do you see this... As you were saying, it's going to be a very strategic, low-scoring series, you predict. But how does physicality enter into this kind of series? Do you think that they're going to go out and, and, like, slap shot it out there and just go at each other? Or do you think it'll be really more, I guess, held back?
1: I I think just by looking at the coaches alone, uh, we we shouldn't expect anything along the lines of a you know a helter skelter uh, old fashioned nineteen seventies uh, you know all hell breaking loose out there kind of game. Uh, really, physicality for the most part in in today's NHL is is to gain momentum. It's it's not as much you know. It, I mean, it is partly in in used in terms of of intimidation, but for the most part, it's for for momentum swings, um, especially for immediate ones. And, you know, if you look up and down the Islanders lineup, uh, again, this isn't a team that boasts a ton of physicality. It's just properly placed throughout the lineup. So you'll have something like the fourth line uh, go out there. And, again, they're not going out there and they're not headhunting. They're not going out to hit uh, every orange and white jersey just for the sake of hitting them. Um, It's all strategy. You know, it's it's a simplified hockey game that allows the Islanders and, and the Flyers also uh, to show off their physicality. It's chip and chase. It's dump and chase. It's get the puck in the corners and four-check hard. And then a big hit will supplement offensive chances further. Um, so I really don't think, um, you know, it's it's going to be, you know, benches clearing and stuff like that, but – Obviously, tensions are going to rise. That's what happens in a playoff series. Bad blood is going to come out. And while it's usually the the bigger and the stronger team that comes away with the advantage, I think it's going to be the team that's going to be able to pull back on the reins a bit. Whoever can keep their composure the most uh, is the one that's going to ultimately prevail. Um, So, you know... And, again, that kind of gets into the conversation of special teams uh, because if, for example, if the Islanders' power play is working and it's magically clicking on all cylinders, which uh, I think is a long shot, but, say, even if they're able to convert at a 20% clip, which is higher than what they've been able to do of recent, um, you know, if, if it's 20 to 25%, then all of a sudden you make those teams pay for that added physicality, for that little extra bit, because we've seen throughout the playoffs these games are being held a little bit tighter. And, again, naturally as the games kind of progress and it gets down to crunch time, you'll always see the referees put their whistles away. Um, but, again, there's, there's no such thing as a playoff minute that means more than another one. So you have to take advantage of all the opportunities that are placed in front of you. So if there is a team on either side of this series that wants to try and send a physical message and they do it at the wrong time and they are penalized and the other team does take advantage, uh, then all of, a, all of a sudden, you know, that coach is there and, and left to think about, well, you know what, I might have to pull it back a little bit. Um, you know what, I, I almost kind of compare physical play in hockey to drinking. You have to do it responsibly. <laughs> you know, a, a well-timed hit can turn a game on its head. Uh, especially as long as it's clean, um, you know, then then it's the great equalizer of sorts. Um, but, again, going out there, um, and, and I know it's a name that triggers a lot of people, but if you go out there like a Tom Wilson or a Brad Marchand and you're there to just be an agitator, it's not going to work, uh, especially with two composed teams like the Islanders and the Flyers.
0: You know, going to Tom Wilson for a second, the hit that he put on Anthony Beauvillier after he scored his second goal in Game 5, I don't know if you were thinking this, but to me, that seemed an awful lot like another infamous hit from a Washington Capitol on a very skilled New York Islander after they scored a goal in 1993. And what I'm... Alluding to is Pierre Turgeon being hit well after he scored a goal by Dale Hunter, which took him out of the 1993 playoffs. Many argue that the Islanders could have had a deeper run with this presence. But Wilson's hit just, it just felt like, geez. Like, same thing. Gets away with it. Just, uh, again, like, are are the Islanders going to always just, be allowed to have a guy get beat up or something like that? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because this is something that I was a little frustrated when there wasn't anything that happened again, particularly when between those two teams there was a very similar and very notorious play.
1: Yeah, you know, I think at first um, when we all saw it, that was the first play that came to mind, that Hunter hit on, on Pierre Turgeon. Um, I don't think it was as egregious as that. I do think it was questionable. I don't want to necessarily call it dirty, um, but it was, it was a bang bang play, um, really, because say if Braden Holpe makes that save, uh, Anthony Bevilier is still bearing down on Braden Holpe right in his crease. Um, so I understand Tom Wilson for wanting to put some kind of contact on Bavillier when he's right there, uh, but given that it is a repeat offender like a Tom Wilson. Uh, And it happened after a go like that. And it was such a dramatic hit where he, you know, goes helicoptering into the post. Um, You know, that's going to get a lot of people feeling a lot of certain ways. Um, So, yeah, you know, I'll I'll put it down as questionable. But, again, it, it says a lot about the composure of a team like the Islanders where they did not go after Wilson following that. You know, instead, Brock Nelson got to sit on the bench as time was winding down in a four to nothing game uh, and just go, you know, bye-bye to Tom Wilson. And to me, uh, that is the ultimate get back. That's, that is payback, not, you know, delivering a hit and, and, you know, uh, knocking a guy out of the game. Uh, I think beating a team on the scoreboard is a lot more impactful than taking one guy out for, you know, for a game. So,
0: you know, a hit hurts for a few days, Getting eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs, well, that stings a lot more in my opinion. I, I couldn't agree with you more there about that. You know, For the Islanders, they appeared to be taking a lot of physicality from Washington. They stayed mentally focused. And of course, as you said, Brock Nelson, he's waving goodbye on the bench. They were able to endure it and finish off the series. But going in here, what kind of lasting effect do you think that those intense hits in Game Four and Game Five, have have you heard about any players that are battling through anything or anything like that?
1: Well, yeah, there was a there was a question about Cal Clutterbuck's availability uh, for this series against the Flyers. Um, you know, he he didn't play in in Game Five. Um, after Barry Trout originally said that he was good to go, uh, we spoke with Barry this morning. He said he had his entire team available but uh, he would not disclose any specifics. So, again, that kind of makes it difficult for us to forecast who the Islanders may or may not have in their lineup. Uh, we saw in Game 5 that Barry kind of flipped the script and he put in Michael Cole and Ross Johnston and um, Johnston to replace Clutterbuck and then uh, Cole he swapped out for Derek Broussard. Um And, again, it's just a big game of chess for him. So... In my opinion, if Cal Clutterbuck is good to go in any capacity and he believes that he can play his game, uh, that gritty, uh, high speed, intense kind of fourth line play that's become the Islanders' identity, uh, there's no question in my mind that he's going to be available in the lineup. Um, I think the only legitimate roster question that we have moving into this series is the status of Johnny Boychuk. He's healthy. He's been healthy after taking that hit um, during the qualifier series against the Panthers, but Andy Green, who has been here before with the Devils, um, has a ton of playoff, ex- playoff experience. Uh, he stepped right in, and he worked seamlessly. And not only has he kind of held the fort down for the Islanders' defense, he's made Nick Letty that much better. Uh, Nick Letty has been the NHL leader in plus-minus. Uh, this postseason amongst all NHL skaters. Um, so I think Trotz will have quite the choice on his hands to either restore Boychuk back to the lineup or to keep kind of going with the hot hand that is Andy Green. So we'll see.
0: That's always a difficult coaching decision to make. Of course, you're thinking, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if something's going right, why change it? But of course, the other the devil's advocate to that is you're playing a different opponent with a different type of game, do you reset or is it something that was more advantageous to just your guys rather than the matchup that you were playing? So that'll be interesting to see what happens tonight with Johnny Boychuk. To what you're saying about Cal Clutterbuck, last season he got banged up pretty good in the playoffs. And when you look at him taking back to back, Playoff injuries at crucial times, that's something that is, should be kept an eye on going forward if he is going to, first the concern for his health and his longevity, going again to Tom Wilson. When you look at Lubomir Wisniewski, it, it, it's more than obvious that the hit that he suffered in that 2015 playoff series was detrimental to his career coming to an end shortly after. And you wonder about Cal Clutterbuck because using another Islanders example from a few seasons ago, there's a difference between being healthy and being able to play. And I think you saw that when, I believe it was Travis Hamanick who played with, what, a broken ankle throughout the playoffs a few seasons ago? Yeah. So I wonder how hurt Clutterbuck is. I wonder if it's something contingent to what happened last season and hopefully this doesn't become a repeat thing that shortens his lifespan because he is a really physical energetic presence on the ice for the Islanders even if he isn't scoring he's catalyzing he is making plays happen and him and I say this about Leo Komarov too even if they're not scoring, they're bringing an intensity that brings success, that brings offensive charges and and attacks. And I think that those types of players really shine in playoff scenarios because for that and, and to be able to do that, it brings a level of not just intimidation but a level of intensity that has not necessarily been seen to the best of its ability during the regular season. And now when the chips are down, these are the guys that are hitting in the third period. These are the guys that still have it in them. These are the guys that are raising the bar saying, the job's not done. We need to finish it or we need to get back on. We're not out of this game. And like I said, those are catalysts to success. So to me, next to your goal scorers and a solid keeper intense players who may not be scoring but are making an impact on the ice those are the most important guys to have in a playoff scenario particularly in low scoring games when your guys are feeling tired and perhaps they're feeling a little bit mentally out of it and now of course being in this bubble it's very understandable why players could be mentally distracted no mike milbury not because of women but because of everything going on but those kind of guys I really think are going to play a big role in this series. And I think that Leo Komarov in particular, I think that he is going to be the little bug behind the ear of the Flyers and just just peeve them and just annoy them and just tilt them off their game enough where it could give the Islanders a chance to score. Especially, I think if he gets in front of the net a lot on Hart, I think that that could be the factor Hart has not dealt with yet in the playoffs where it's just someone kind of in your ear not literally but just someone who's always there just a little bit of a distraction and in a low scoring series well that could be it so I, I hope Kamarov gets a big goal in this series I think that he's more than earned it I think he's intense I love that he's wearing the cage right now and I, I think like I said that type of role for the Islanders is going to be, it, well, it's always important, but I think it's going to be a little extra critical in a series like this.
1: Sure, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, before I, I, I jump into Leo, I kind of want to go off of that, what you were saying. Uh, getting those bodies in front of Hart and kind of crashing in the net, that's the Islanders' game plan this series. Uh, I talked to Matt Martin and, and Barry Trotz earlier this morning, um, and they both kind of alluded to that. They said they want to get in this kid's face. They want to get bodies in front. And uh, in a way, that's how they can simplify their offense. Um, Too often than not, we try to see the Islanders playing that tic-tac-toe brand of hockey, making the extra pass, trying to create the pretty goal. Um, I think in a series like this, going into it, they realize um, their best chance at success is just keeping it simple. Put the big bodies in front of the net whether it's Anders Lee or if it's Brock Nelson or if it's Leo Komarov or if it's Matt Martin, you put those big bodies in front of the net, you get in front of the goalie's eyes, you screen them a little bit, you get sticks on pucks, um, and anything can happen. Um, But going back to what you've been saying about Leo, um, this is where it's a true testament to the job that Lou Lamarillo has done um, when he really hasn't had a ton to work with. And I think that's what's made this Islanders run over the past two years that much more special. Remember, you know, that old saying, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That is the Islanders to a T. This is, you You know, you look at this roster on paper, and again, we. I, I don't know, I've been talking about this until I, I'm blue in the face. Um, this is not a roster that's going to jump out at you on paper. Um, but it is a collection of talents that... Don't have an ego that have been able to put we in front of me, and they've been able to work seamlessly. It's been uh, you know symbiosis at its finest. Um, you know they they bought into the system. They understand that they might not be you know the flashiest team on paper or the most talented or the most dangerous, but they know that if they are going to have success in the NHL. Um, it's going to be under Barry Trotz's system and Lou Marillo made it a point to bring in guys, though it was only a few of them that he's brought in over the last two years, whether it's been Komarov or he, you know, reacquired Matt Martin or he brings in Derek Broussard. Um, and obviously the big one most recently, JG Padgeot, uh, who is the, the marquee guy at all this. Um, he brought them in knowing that they'll be able to do that. Um, The Islanders had some pretty big targets on their trade deadline lists or on their free agency lists. Um, And after they lost out on Artemi Panarin, they kind of just, they reeled it back in um, and they just looked for players that can fit into the system. And that's why you see guys like Leo Komarov being so important to the effort when, you know, you uh, go to Toronto, where he spent five years with, and uh, you know they look at him as uh, nothing but a but a fringe player who was an agitator. Um, you know what? Well, yeah, he is a bottom six agitator here in New York too. But at the same time, that exact skill set is exactly what the Islanders need, and that's something that they identified. Um, so really, it's right now. It's just it's the right collection. It's uh, it's something that we don't see often in terms of championship teams, where you'll see a team that kind of lacks this overwhelming amount of star power uh, that makes a deep run. Uh, so this could be, you know, one of the more rare, you know, Cinderella esque stories that we'll see in hockey if the Islanders, you know, can can pull this off and can, you know, advance deeper into the postseason.
0: And just to that point, I think that. The national media over the years, and they've had a lot of good reasons to tag up on the Islanders, but they're, the Islanders are not a team that's been looked in favor nationally. They're the team that the owner stole them back in the 90s, and they're the team, where do they play? Who owns the Islanders? Owns, owns, you know, whatever it is. Uh, historically, they were a team that didn't make the playoffs a lot, They dealt with nightmares off the ice. But now it's a new brigade. It's a new future. You know I like to quote Star Wars. It's a new hope, particularly with a a hockey-centric arena being built for them in Nassau County. They're they're checking off all the boxes on what the team has been criticized heavily for over the past 20-something years, maybe even more. But right now, the Islanders have an opportunity with this series, this next week, could determine an attitude for the next 10 years. This could be the year, even if they don't go all the way, this could be the year to really crack it open and say, that stuff is done. We've got an awesome arena We've got awesome fans. We've got some dough to give players. We've got plenty of talent. We know how to beat you. And this is something we were talking about a little bit before we got into recording. But traditionally, at least in my lifetime, I'm I'm sure you feel similar. But as someone who wasn't even alive for the 1993 run, I've only seen the Islanders win two playoff series in my life against Florida in 2016 and against Pittsburgh last season. And growing up as a kid, of course you're a little nervous, but as an Islanders fan, it's a whole nother level. Going to when the Islanders lost to the Penguins in six games in 2013, I remember being at the Coliseum and and thinking about it and just thinking, okay, well, they're this good, but maybe if the Islanders somehow can do this, or maybe if Pittsburgh doesn't do this, and that sentiment was reiterated when the Islanders played the Capitals in 2015. Oh well, Ovi hope be you know maybe if the Islanders do this or maybe if I don't know Ovi goes down or, or something. It's always thinking how good your opponent is. But and this is something I particularly felt after the sweep of the Pittsburgh Penguins last year, which in my opinion was the best series the Islanders have played. This millennium. It was no longer thinking how good your opponent is. Now it's thinking how good the Islanders are. It's no longer you're lucky to be there, you nabbed in at the bottom on some poke check by a third string goalie just to make the playoffs and get wiped out right away. Now it's a feeling of this is a new team, this is a new future. And right now, starting tonight, that is going to be put to the test if it was just two good seasons or if we're looking at a new chapter or, heck, even a sequel to the book at this point.
1: Yeah, and and that's really the culture change that came with the new regime of John Ledecky and Scott Malkin and obviously later Lula Amarillo and Barry Trotz and, you know... Yeah, I'm with you, and and there's a large faction of the Islanders fan base where your entire childhood was your team being basically either a doormat or at times a laughingstock or a non-factor or a afterthought or a team of a bunch of has-beens or a team of a bunch of never-will-bees. And all of a sudden, you're you're here, um, and you know just just the the fact that Islanders fans are able to hang their hats on the fact that they are into the second round of the postseason in consecutive years for the first time since 1984 and 1985. Um, that that's a huge step. And I think it's something that a lot of other fans of professional hockey organizations take for granted. Um, and I think it's a testament to the the loyalty of this fan base uh, to kind of stick it out for as long as they have. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, it, it's a reason to, to kind of celebrate. Um, they have every right to be happy and excited and, and, uh, you know, to kind of strut their stuff and and to be this uh, almost conceited in a way. Uh, you have a good hockey team. Uh, you're you're making noise in the playoffs. You are somewhere that you haven't been um, again for a lot of people in, in their entire lives. Um, I wasn't even two years old in 1993, uh, so I don't remember a darn thing. Um, so yeah, 20 uh, you know that 2016 series against the Panthers that was. That was special. Um, getting that one win against Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round of the playoffs, that was special. Um, and I think after that sweep of the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think a lot of Islanders fans got ahead of themselves looking at the bracket saying, well, you know what? The, the, the Hurricanes are beatable. They did us a huge favor by beating the Capitals. Um, you know, the Islanders can go to the Stanley Cup this year. Um, so while, again, the hockey gods and the sporting gods will always be swift to remind you that it's not that easy, um, every once in a while they, they'll they throw you a bone here um, and for the Islanders that was in the form of competent leadership uh, it was in the form of getting a good break here uh, getting the rights to Belmont building a new arena there um, and it's kind of cashing in on three decades worth of, of bad luck and being a laughing stock and um, you know I think it's unfortunate that uh, for a lot of us there are certain people that you know, they aren't here to share it with us. Um, I think Charles Wang, who did everything he could just to keep the Islanders on the Island um, and in New York, and he did everything he could to try and get that lighthouse project passed, um, you know, I think it's a shame that he's not really here to, you know, enjoy it with them. Um, but, again, at the same time, this is um, – You know, this is is exciting. Uh, and even for, even for the longtime Highlanders beat writers and the longtime NHL beat writers that have been doing this, um, you know, Arthur Staple at The Athletic, uh, Andrew Gross at Newsday, um, you know, the, the, the tons of countless blogs that are comprised of these incurable loyal fans from Highlanders Insight to Eyes on Isles to New York Islanders Hockey Now, um. You know, they, they deserve this. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, obviously, you know, this is what you sign up for when you uh, when you make it to the playoffs. Um, but it, it's just, you know, it, it's stuff like this that kind of proves as a reminder that this is something that, you know, you also have to enjoy the ride here. Uh, again, because for a snake-bitten franchise like the New York Islanders for the last 30 years, uh, you know, who knows when it'll come again. Uh, you never know what'll happen so um you know it's it's okay to be anxious it's okay to be scared it's okay to be nervous uh, it's okay to get angry and it's okay to yell at the TV um and again it's it's a huge ass but at the same time just kind of take a second maybe even during intermission and exhale and be like wow you know what uh we haven't been here in a while and uh i you know i can't believe we've we've made it this far kind of against all odds again so um, super special time to be an Islander fan. Uh, I think it's only going to get better from here. So uh, buckle up, folks.
0: You know, I couldn't agree more. And I, I really think it's important to be optimistic. But it's also important to remember the job isn't done. We're on the way. Or I should say they're on the way. I don't play for the Islanders. I could only play deck hockey. I was not scouted. Sad story. I'll talk more about it later. But this is, the, this is the turning point. You're almost up the hill. And you can stop and say, look how close we got. All right, let's turn around. Or let's be content with where we are. Maybe someday we'll climb it up. And there's fatigue. It's been a damning year for all parties involved, for certain. But... This is where you want to see it come to fruition. Even if it's not a Stanley Cup. Even if they don't make it to the next round. But you see that they're well matched. You see that the Islanders can compete. Last year was, as you said, the hockey gods decided to um, sprinkle a little bit of humility on some overzealous Islanders fans, and rightfully so. They swept the bane of their existence for the first time. Was it the first time ever, or was it the first time since the dynasty? Either way, in what's arguably a lifetime, or half a lifetime. But right now, it's important to be grateful of where they are, but not to be complacent, not to let the foot off the gas. Now is the opportunity. And like you said, you don't know when it comes again. You don't know when the Islanders will be poised for this. You have a clean slate. You have a team that may give you a heck of a hard time. You come out there. I'm going back to Herb Brooks at this. You play the heck out of your game. And I think that Islanders fans, if they see an intense series opposite to being swept by Carolina last season, win or lose, there will be that satisfaction saying, this is a new day. This is a new opportunity. This is a new chance. But that will all hinge on the intensity that's brought in this series. And, uh, of course, fans may not have the perspective that analysts, players, coaches, even reporters have on the game. A lot of people felt like Game four was a flat game for the Islanders. I always like to believe when a team is playing flat, it's never because of laziness, but because of extenuating circumstances that fans and, and even other parts of of hockey are not aware of. But for the Islanders, making it visible that they're feeling defeated, I think that is what will rock the ship and, and make people upset, saying that rather than it being a progression that it's more of an issue of talent not being used to the best of its ability. But I think they all want to win one. I think Trotz wants to get another ring. I think he wants to go from being the guy who did it once to a legacy coach. And if Trotz wins a ring or ever two with the New York Islanders, that's half as many as Al Arbor. Imagine that. Just imagine that for a second.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's uh it's it's pretty incredible to think that he's not even done with his second season with the organization. Um and you can make an incredibly strong case that Barry Trotts is already the second greatest head coach in Islanders
0: franchise history. You could definitely argue that, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and it, again, that shows, um, you know, it. That's a testament to the ineptitude that was running the organization for a while. Um, you know, and again, I'm not going to point fingers or
0: anything like that. Cap you wanna um, excuse me? Tickle. It's,
1: I mean, you you know, you go down the list. Really, the. Any, any Islanders head coach not named Al Arbor or, you know, I'll even say, you know, Peter Laviolette, um, you know, they, yeah, you know, what does it say about an organization when you're, you know, when, when the coach who's ranked second all-time and wins is, is Jack Capuano? Um, and it really, it's, it's, it's a record that he kind of fell into because he managed to survive um, you know, longer than most Islanders coaches could, and again, you could probably thank John Tavares for that, um, just because that he had a superstar there that kind of kept them a little bit more relevant, say, in, in previous years. Um, so, really, it's been it's been such a it's been such a journey for 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 Islanders fans over the past you know twenty years or so, um, and I can really only speak for the last twenty years because uh, you know. That's as long as I can really remember you know well, twenty, it wasn't a fun years, 20 or so.
0: years it was not a fun twenty
1: years nope, it was not um but you know again, like we've been saying, things are starting to look up, and it's uh you know it's it's a new day in Ohio's town.
0: You know, you're absolutely right about i i I believe it is a new day, and I think that this series, and I'm sure trots. At 4.14 p.m. right now is saying something similar to the team. You know, you guys could be, you guys could be the, the breakers. You guys could be what accelerates this. Or as I use the example with, with Kamarov and Clutterbuck, you guys can catalyze this. How great would it be, hypothetically speaking, because I don't want to put any bad juju out to the sports gods. How great would it be, hypothetically speaking again, I don't have wood to knock on, but I promise I will soon. Would it be to celebrate the opening of Belmont with a banner? That that's yep. just nail in the coffin, you know, move over Rangers, there's a new sheriff in town. Although you could argue that as far as hockey, New York has been lawless since the nineteen nineties. If anyone has it, it's New Jersey technically speaking. But sure. This really, they're there now. It's not a game of what ifs. Tonight's the chance. Tonight's the chance to turn it around. Tonight's the, you know, tonight is the Islanders first opportunity to get a blowout win in the second round of the playoffs. The first time in a really long time. And when you look at even nineteen ninety-three with the massive upset against the two time reigning or two time consecutive reigning Pittsburgh Penguins, they were all close games. That was that was you were sweating it out. Overtime game seven, that, that's a that's a perspirant situation. But if the Islanders can get a dominant win in this series and just play competitive games. Throughout the rest. No game where they are not in it. You felt that in Carolina. Particularly when they were away. You felt like the Islanders weren't in it. Like there was almost like, like a prematurity. We beat Pittsburgh. That was it. But that, that's, our, that's our history. But I don't think Matt Barzell. I don't think Barry Trotz. I don't think Captain Anders Lee. Who came in with massive skates to fill and did a phenomenal job, now has a better track record than John Tavares as a captain. As you're saying, with Barry Trotz being one of the Islanders' greatest coaches now, look at Andrews Lee as a captain. And, and, and look what he's done since the 90s. You could argue Lee is maybe, maybe not the second best, but you could argue he's in the top four for captains now. Just on this. First yeah. time the Islanders yeah. won seven playoff games. Again, counting Florida, in in recent memory. Sure, it's um, yeah.
1: The uh, the legacy of Anders Lee has certainly been kind of put under rose-colored glasses in a way because loyalty goes such a long way, especially with this fan base now. After everything that happened with with Tavares, um, you know, Anders Lee is a he's a a very good hockey player. Um, he, again, he's not a he's not a star. Uh, he kind of encapsulates what the entire organization is about. Um, and I think because of that, he's beloved. And I think if you ask a lot of Islanders fans, yeah, he is in their, you know, top three or four captains of all time where he's going to be put in the same breath as, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to put him in the same breath as Dennis Todd. Um I think that is just, um, you know, that is a conversation that is, uh, you know, years and years and years away with a lot of fortuitous happenings. Lee four sure.
0: cups away from that discussion.
1: Exactly. Um, but, you know, if you look back at Islanders captains, especially recent, they're obviously going to put him in front of Tavares. They're going to put him in front of the likes of, geez, everybody over the years, Bill Guerin or Doug Wade or... Mark Streit. W- yeah, Brendan Witt, Mark Streit, sure. Uh,
0: I think you put you him know. above Pekka now. He had more success. Uh, you...
1: I would say so. I think Michael Pekka has kind of a – he obviously has a, a warm place amongst Islanders fans given everything that happened during that series with the Maple Leafs. But, yeah, I think you put him – you know, you could put him ahead of Alexi Yashin. Oh, certainly. Um, you know, or you put him ahead of the Brian McCabe's. But, you know, you might actually – you know, you might put him on the same level as, say, a um, – you know, a Pat Flatley.
0: Yeah. You,
1: you know, something like that. a uh, Just a, a good soldier who – Again, he's not going to kill you with skill, but he's going to represent the organization well. Um, and I think that's the kind of uh, projection that Anders Lee is on right now.
0: If, if Lee wins a cup with the Islanders as the captain, I think that bumps him to two automatically. Oh,
1: for sure. 100%. Absolutely agree with you.
0: Well, when you think about it, 12 games away. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. Just, it, hopefully. So let me.
1: Yeah. The, the way you make it sound, you make me, it sound yes, so easy.
0: Yes. I don't want to, I don't want to put a Mitchell curse on the Islanders. I did that last season.
1: Oh but, boy. Yeah. You have a tendency to do that.
0: Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, if the Islanders play their cards, right. And, and I think that that is a discussion or, or a perspective trots needs to give the players. It's, it's closer than it feels. 12 games. 12 games. Not even two octopi for Detroit. That, that, that's all that's left. 12 games. And I, I don't know. But I think if the Islanders get to a conference final, they'll either be starstruck or Unstoppable they got a, They got four more to do before we can even have that discussion. Um, and, of course, we're, uh, we're starting to run into overtime here now. And, uh, fortunately, because it's playoffs, we get 20 minutes of five on five with this. Joe, I want to go over some Islanders-Flyers playoff history. The first thing that jumps into an Islanders fan's mind when they think about playing the Philadelphia Flyers is, of course, May twenty fourth, 1980. The date of the dynasty, Tanelli to Nystrom, nice to Nystrom, nice he scores! And and that's when it all began, back when, before it was East and West. But, historically, aside from that, the Islanders have never beaten the Flyers in the playoffs.
1: Nope, nope. Uh, this is going to be their fifth meeting in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Flyers are 3-1 are against the Islanders. Um, you know, they've... they've pretty much taking care of them uh, any the other times that they've met. And, uh, you know, it's been 33 years since they last faced off in the postseason. And, uh, you know, we, obviously things were a little bit different. Uh, but, you know, the Islanders, in the, in, you know, back then the Islanders were a team that kind of just snuck into the playoffs back then. They were, they were a team that was two games over 500. Um, you know, Al Arbor had just left. Perry Simpson was behind the bench. Uh, you know, they were able to squeak through the Capitals. Uh, and, yeah, and they lost in seven games to the Flyers. Um, so, you know, again, it's, uh, it's it's more of an anecdote other than anything, uh, you know, that the Flyers have had success against the Islanders more often than not. But, you know, you ask any Islanders fan, they will take that one victory in the Stanley Cup final over anything else. And, uh, you know, just saying that there's, uh, you know, there's nothing that you could really take from any previous kind of matchup just because it's been so long ago. Um, so, really, it's it's going to be a nice reemergence of a a really fun Eastern Conference rivalry between two teams that you know they really don't like each other. Um, and at the end of the day, it it comes back to the whole New York versus Philly thing. Even though this New York team is based on Long Island, um, you know i I went to school at Hofstra as you did, and I lived with a lot of kids from Philadelphia. I lived with a lot of Flyers fans, um, and they had no problems telling me all of their gripes with the New York Islanders. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's two very intense, two very loyal fan bases, two very knowledgeable fan bases. Um, and yeah, they're, uh, everybody's cooped up in their homes and on social media, and it's going to get pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, but this isn't this is going to be a fun one.
0: Yeah, it's, gonna be, it's certainly going to be cooking in a few hours. And, of course, when you look back to the 80s, there's no real parallels you can draw to today except for just the convenience of history and somehow how weird things happen. Just as we had talked about, the Islanders had not had consecutive trips to the second round since the mid-1980s. Who beat them in that second round?
1: There you go. It, it was <laughs> don't Philadelphia. Say, don't say it too loud. Don't say it too loud.
0: <laughs> and, and, of course, they, the, it has nothing to do with today. It has nothing to do with the modern players, but it just it makes you feel like there's, there's a force out there. There's a higher power. As you were saying, later, the 1986 to 87 Islanders, better known as the Easter Epic Team, people forget that after they won that courageous, heroic seven-game series that went into four overtimes, correct, against Washington? yep four overtime. they lose in seven to Philly the next round <laughs> so again, speaking just on history and and ghost curses of hockey past, nothing to do with the modern day, after all the great stuff we just said, if there is a historic bane that is going to be Long Island's reckoning. It is Philly. And again, that, that's that got nothing to do with the modern personnel, but as you were saying, this could be an opportunity to open a new chapter with new players and perhaps a rivalry renewed in future playoff meetings if both teams are going to be relevant. And if you're not going to see consistent playoff matchups from an Islanders' perspective, if you're not going to see it with the Rangers, I think seeing it with Philly is perhaps the second or third best thing. Maybe Pittsburgh, you, you slide in there. But an argument that I've been making that after this August, feels strange to say, I believe that the Islanders are also one playoff series away from considering the Florida Panthers to be a rival. I think they're one away. They're close. They have one more meeting in the playoffs, perhaps one that... Really goes down to it. You have another overtime winner to ice it. I think that that could be a new rivalry in a new chapter for the Islanders. Yeah, I can see
1: that happening. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of matchups condensed together on such a big stage is grounds for a rivalry, you know, especially when, you know, uh, emotions are running so high. Uh, but at the same time, like you were saying, um, you know, it, it kind of says. Just how far along the Islanders have come, where you know once they were punching bags to the likes of the Penguins and the Capitals and the Flyers and the Rangers. Um,
0: Any other teams in the East you want to mention? Just, just
1: no. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are. I guess those are the biggest rivals. <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> um, now, now you can say though that it's a bona fide legitimate rivalry. It's it's a two sided rivalry. It's not just. You know, the Islanders treating a February regular season matchup that gets bumped up to prime time because NBC wants to feature Sidney Crosby on national television. Um, You know, they don't have to consider that as their playoffs or their Stanley Cup final. Um, You know, there's legitimate rivalries brewing because there are games that are being played that matter. Um, And again, not just in the regular season. So... It's a testament to just how far the Islanders have come. It's a sign of all the excitement that is laying ahead for not only the Islanders, but for the Metropolitan Division. And like you've been hoping, I think it's only a matter of time before Islanders Rangers in the playoffs. And uh, I guess I'll have to buy stock in Pepto-Bismol, I think, for
0: that one. (laughs) We've talked about it. I know you've been resistant to wanting to see it, but at the same time, eventually you have to take the risk. You have to take the leap of faith if you want to get out of that territory. And oh, sure. i it, it, it's a rivalry just like what you could argue with like the, the Yankees in Boston. It's a shell of its former self. You know, prior to twenty eighteen the last playoff meeting with them was two thousand four. Look at the Islanders. Last Islanders Rangers playoff series. I wasn't born. Ninety-four. Wow. Islanders got swept off their feet but It won't take much to ignite the fire between Islanders, Rangers fans, but I almost feel like it's something that the hockey gods make you have a a prerequisite for, to get there. Like, beat another regional rival, go toe-to-toe with them for two or three years, and then, then you can restore the New York hockey legacy. Maybe it's Philly. That
1: sounds like a pretty good plan. I mean, uh, yeah, again, If if Islanders and Rangers fans act the way they do during a regular season game in the middle of March, uh, I shudder to think how they will be uh, in the same arena, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, you know, how they'll be during the playoffs. Uh, So, again, I think uh, I'm very fortunate where I will be safe up in the press box, uh, where I don't plan on coming down anytime soon.
0: You maybe. Perhaps it would be a good thing for no one be to be able to attend an Islanders Rangers playoff game for safety purposes. Yeah,
1: yeah, it might be. I just feel bad for those split households uh, who are, you know kind of stuck inside, and you know, one's an Islander fan and one's a Ranger. That's how relationships end. Yeah, that is how
0: they end. That um, you are gonna, you are definitely gonna need to hire some counseling for that, some, some family work. And uh, even the therapists, they're going to have to do a video call because that may not be safe to step into.
1: Sure. No, that's that's good. Keep your distance. Keep your space. Social distancing.
0: But right now, it's Philly, and I don't know about you, but I can imagine there are a lot of New Yorkers that will not be having any sort of chopped or shredded beef sandwiches over the next few days. Perhaps huh. there won't be much pizza ordered in Philadelphia either which stinks because I really love cheesesteaks but you know what it's New York Philly and there hasn't been a really big New York Philly game since the 2009 World Series so you know here we go it's the I-95 rivalry once again yeah buckle up it's gonna be fun but wait, Joe. To be fair, because you know I follow the Yankees more than the Mets. Tell me, has there been a crucial Mets-Phillies game prior to 2009 that is worthy of being mentioned?
1: I mean, before 2009, sure. It was uh, you know the uh, the Mets collapse in 2007 when they were overtaken by the Phillies. Uh, kind of same thing in 2008. It was all you know regular season stuff though, between the two teams. Uh, really, that was kind of the height of their rivalry. Um, you know, we kinda thought that it would be a little bit bigger than it would than it currently is. Uh last year, I think there were some high hopes for the Mets and obviously after the has got Bryce Harper and everything, um, you know, I think that a lot of us thought that they would have been in the mix for the NL East title instead of finishing in fourth. So uh that's kind of a to be continued kind of thing. And uh that's a a fantastic NL East rivalry for sure. Uh, and I, I can't wait till it gets back to that mid-2000s kind of feeling.
0: I think New York sports in general could use a mid-2000s feeling. You look at it, the teams went from being hyper-competitive to hypo-competitive in a lot of ways. The Mets having their NLCS run in 2006, of course you look at you know, the Yankees just always been in the picture throughout the 2000s, 2003, 2004. You know, Boone's walk-off. What happened last season, which we don't like to talk about. But, um, and then you have the Giants winning the Super Bowl in 2007. You have the Yankees in 2009. And, uh, you know, after the Giants won it again in 2011, you know, it's just like, all right, stop. Everyone freeze, like, like you're playing a game of Simon Says. And I mean, you have the Rangers making the run to the Stanley Cup Finals. But again, if there's a talented team that hasn't been able to finish the job, particularly in the realm of hockey, it was the Rangers. You could argue Longfist should have two cups. We'll, we'll save that for another day. Not to rag on Rangers fans, but it's true. You know that there, there was potential to go all the way, but again, not something to get into. I think that. 2020, and this is something we talked about before 2020 really um, you know, became as unfortunate a year as it has been, but perhaps for the rest of a decade, a healthier decade, a safer decade, perhaps that could also bring a much more competitive nature to all New York sports, where you remember what it's like to have two teams in the same city going at each other, Again and again, because they're both competitive at the same time. That's what I hope for. And it could start tonight. It could start yeah. tonight.
1: Yeah, me, me and you both. I think uh, either the Canyon of Heroes or, uh, you know, even Hempstead Turnpike, I guess. Uh, it could use a parade, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, if it's um, you know, if it's Hempstead Turnpike, I know I'm going to Jim Stelly after.
1: Save a quagmire for me.
0: Oh, man, those were the best. Those were the best. For those hearing what a quagmire is for the first time, it's not what is a quagmire, it's what isn't a quagmire. It is a breakfast hero, not a sandwich. Um, I call it a hero because just like Hercules, you know, it, it's less than a god but, but more than a sandwich in a way. It is, a, what is it, eggs, bacon, sausage, cheese, of course. Then you got the hash brown.
1: That was it. That's the game changer.
0: Yes, when you put the potato on the sandwich, you've entered a whole new realm of it, and that was the best. If you were uh, if you were feeling a little bit uh, depleted from a night out, Jim's was where to go the next morning. And a good uh, way to put that. Yeah, had to uh, had to be a little political there, but you know, from all the studying. For finals, if you were tired or something.
1: Yes, like that. all that time in the library. Yes, not the rat but no, no, no.
0: <laughs> I wasn't even there for the rat. That was, um, that was actually a study hall. By the time I got there, ours were. Yeah,
1: um... yeah, it was all. It was uh, that that was all closed down. No, we uh, we we would venture our way down Hempstead Turnpike a little bit to some other fine establishments that all of our Hofstra friends can reminisce upon and name drop at a later date.
0: Yes, they, uh, fine, clean, very, uh, <laughs> they certainly welcomed those members of high society for a lovely night on the town.
1: Yes, very accommodating.
0: And, uh, some Islanders actually, uh, would sure. uh, appear there too. So, uh, sure. you know, it, it was a real community thing that they were doing when they went to said places.
1: But. It sure was. And, uh, yeah, let's not get anybody in trouble.
0: Yeah, no, that will uh, remain anonymous. And uh, to quote Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. So That's it. Well, Joe, we got some hockey to watch. Any final thoughts on this?
1: Uh, no, I think it's going to be a great series. Um, I think it's going to be very, very close. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be one or two plays a night that will – Kind of be the tipping point, and uh, you know, hopefully for New Yorkers, they'll uh, they'll be a little bit more happy than uh, the folks in Philly. So I will say Islanders in six.
0: Islanders in six. Huh, where have we heard that before? <laughs> oh boy! I oh I got to think about that. I um I don't know. I uh I think. Given how the team has played in its past two series, and perhaps this is the new chapter of the sports gods allowing convenient numbers to line up in a way that makes it appear to be fate, the Islanders win the Panther series 3-1 to one in the best of a five-game series. The Islanders beat Washington in five games. Perhaps, just perhaps, the Islanders would do the same to Philadelphia in five games as the team continues its drive for five. So I'm going to say Islanders in five. I could be dead wrong, and I won't be afraid to say that I'm dead wrong. That's that's the fun
1: part of making these predictions.
0: You know, and it, it could be two OT goals that just lopsided, like Florida. You know, as easy as it could have been Islanders in six, it could have been Panthers in six. They got the right break, but so far it seems like five is a consistent number for the Islanders. And again, I know they're not playing for that. They're not trying to do that, but perhaps just perhaps things are aligning. And without players even realizing it, there's just this kind of subconsciousness of that's how it finishes, you know, because you have to imagine with how fateful sports are. Not that anyone is doing it consciously, and if they are, they need to write a book about it. But it it just seems like that's the way things happen. Like, as we're talking about with Philly, that's the way it just happens to happen. But I think if uh, the drive for five is to come to fruition, I think there are going to be a lot of five-game playoff victories. That's just how it's been so far.
1: I mean, from, from your lips to God's ears, I guess, I mean, uh, you know, I – Sports fans are a very fickle and superstitious bunch, uh, so I can certainly see something like this happening. Where you know we could look back on it and you know, oh, it's all fives across the board. But uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know. It's uh, th- th- this is the least favorite part of my job is making the predictions because uh, it obviously opens yourself up to criticism for trying to be a fortune teller of sorts. But uh, again, just kind of going off what. Uh, what we're doing, I think I picked the Islanders to win in, I think, six or seven against the Capitals, and I picked the Islanders in four to beat the Panthers in the first round. And I picked the – I think I picked the Hurricanes to beat the Rangers in six against – yeah, yeah, I think that was it. Uh, during the – not six, I'm sorry. In, in five. five. Yes, uh, I picked the Hurricanes to beat the Rangers in five during the qualifiers. Uh, so I think that was the one I got wrong the most. I thought the Rangers would actually made that a – um, a much closer series but uh yeah not not uh, not a great part about the job but uh you know hey when you get it right you come out looking uh looking pretty good so fingers crossed that we're right here
0: i i certainly agree with you there and uh to anyone any reporter that acts like they are a um an oracle for sports let's keep it real you probably got lucky but we don't exactly. need to get too into that um of course more than just Predicting what what happens in a game, you know, talking about how the game is played—that, in my opinion, is that goes a long way better from just picking the right number. Anyone can pick a winning lottery ticket, but it takes some skill to actually figure out why it happened. And that's what we do.
1: Yeah, man, you're you're, you're inflating my ego here. <laughs> I uh, I really appreciate that. Ah, uh, but yeah, no, it's. Uh... You know, it's exactly. It's one thing to watch a game; it's uh it's something completely different to to break it down and write about it. So, uh, you know, be a little nicer to your your sports media members.
0: Yeah, we could uh, we could use it. It's um, it's been I mean, a rough year. As as you know, as frustrated as fans are that they can't go to the games, you got to remember, they're playing a lot of the especially for the bubble teams. We're not going to those games. I'm not getting flown to Toronto. doesn't work like that for us. Even Major League Baseball, they can get 35 people into a press box. We're not, we can't go to all those games, and we understand no one's going to all of them. Michael Kay's not traveling with the Yankees. So we miss it too, guys. Cut us a little slack. We feel you. You know, we're, we're on your side here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's, uh, let's get the whole sports community to band together a little bit.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, I spend too much time on Twitter. everybody hates everybody, so
0: I think uh I think for now we need to just focus on some brotherly love.
1: perfect, brotherly love
0: in five games anyway, Joe, thanks <laughs> so much for coming on. Um, we will be back we'll be talking more islanders' hockey, and soon to be coming will be some baseball content uh. A name right now for a Yankees podcast, The Empire Mike's Back. We will talk about that. And a to-be-later-named Mets podcast. Joe's going to take the lead on the Mets. I'm going to take the lead on the Yankees. Obviously, they're coming up to some crucial junctures now in what's been one heck of a baseball season happening at the same time as the Stanley Cup NBA playoffs and start of football Yeah, it's been fun for us. Anyway, Joe, I will see you soon. Let's see what happens tonight. Let's see what happens this series, and let's see if it's a real page-turner for the Islanders.
1: Sounds great. Have fun, everybody. Alex, again, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I will talk to you soon. Be well, my friend.
1: You too. Thanks.
0: And that was AM Rush Sports, AM Oddman Rush Sports. Get it? I'm kind of funny. Maybe not. But we're going to have a lot more sports stuff coming up. Sports are back. The Islanders, the Yankees, the Mets. Football soon. Giants and Jets. We're getting a lot of action. We will be coming back with a lot more sports content. Keep listening. Hang tough out there, in New York. Let's see what the Islanders can do tonight.